and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl. Well, I'm a screen guy. Oh, Pennsylvania. We love Pennsylvania. Over the next three episodes of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics, we're going to focus on the Philly suburbs. And as we travel just one hour uh, south on the Northeast Extension from the Lehigh Valley, I'm still digesting our conversations with Katie and with Paul and with Lamont. You know, they reminded me how diverse the Lehigh Valley is, how much it's changed over the years. And even though it's just one hour north of the solidly blue, by all metrics, Philly suburbs, just how purple it is. But starting in 2018, you could not have a conversation uh, about politics and elections without hearing the term suburbs and more specifically suburban women. And in Pennsylvania, the Philly suburbs, they, they demonstrated this quite clearly. Three new incredible congresswomen were elected. You know, the 2016 election, it sparked historic activism and grassroots organizing that uh, was unprecedented in American political history. So I'm excited to learn from and to meet some of these new activists. You know, across suburban Philly in 2020, turnout numbers were incredible. Now, some counties, nearly 80% of voters cast a ballot. Yet Democrats gained tens of thousands of additional voters from 2016 totals. So I'm looking forward to starting our series in the Philly suburbs with the chairwoman and the vice chairman of the Delaware County Democratic Party, Colin Guiney and Dan Muroff. Now, Delaware County is the fifth largest in Pennsylvania. And less than a decade ago, the entirety of county government was run by Republicans. There was a party machine in every sense of the term. That's all changed. The county's blue and it seems to be getting only bluer. Now, Metrics like this just don't happen overnight, and trends like this cannot be taken for granted. So I'm eager to hear how these two incredible party leaders, and mind you, they're doing this entirely as volunteers, inspire diverse activists, build the coalitions, and persuade voters to make this all a reality. And in particular, I'm really looking forward to hearing how and why the Biden-Harris ticket received nearly 32,000 more votes than the Clinton-Cain ticket just four years ago. Here in Delaware County, these voters have the chance to make history to possibly elect a Democratic majority on their county council. Democratic leaders in Delco are hoping to switch the county council from red to blue for the first time ever. Well, Colleen, Dan, welcome to my kitchen table. Thanks so much. Pleasure to be here. Great to be here. Thanks, Ari. You guys have the sometimes thankless job, but every day a new adventure job of being the chair and vice chair of the Delaware County Democratic Party. And you know, as we reflect back on the uh, many twists and turns, the whirlwind that was the 2020 election, uh, let's start on a positive note uh, before we get you know, granular in the trenches of all the many difficulties. But as you look back, what, were, what was the top highlight? Uh, Colleen, and we'll uh, start with you. 
Well, I would say our top highlight was that we flipped a state Senate seat. John Kane, SD9, is now in the state Senate and was not beforehand. We are thrilled to have helped make a difference in that in that chamber. We were able to hold on to all of our vulnerable freshmen. And unfortunately, we had two state House seats that we were hoping to capture. We got quite close. As a matter of fact, one of our seats was the closest in the state. But 50% minus one doesn't do it. So we are continuing to be at the drawing board to see what we can do to make a difference in, in those two seats. But we're grateful that all of our first term incumbents that were that we considered vulnerable are now, you know, they're going to their second terms. And that's that's certainly helpful. Dan, what would you think would be a highlight other than, of course, electing Joe Biden by a huge margin and well, Kamala Harris? Well, for sure. And I'll echo what Colleen said. One of the things that we should recognize in Delaware and Chester County actually is a crossover with uh, John Cain's Senate seat. It's the only mm-hmm. Senate seat in, uh, in Pennsylvania that flipped from Republican to Democratic. And that, I think, speaks to both the commitment of the party uh, here regionally, locally, the, the candidate who was uh, determined to take it very seriously all the way to the end, never bought into the, the hype that his race was, you know, a lock. And, um, uh, de- you know, just demographic changes, which I think we're, we have that at our, at our backs, uh, fortunately, uh, here in Delaware County. Let's talk a bit about demographic changes. I mean, it is, I think, to many folks listening uh, from Washington or New York who've done canvassing in the lead up to elections, this is just seen as one of the Philadelphia suburbs. Folks who live in the region, uh, I think, know the diversity of Delaware County with very, very wealthy townships uh, like Radnor and Chad's Ford, and then uh, municipalities like Upper Darby and Darby and, and Chester. And, you know, I, I'm a bit of a data dork. I was looking and I was quite surprised, actually, from the 2010 until census estimates now, really not a lot of population growth. But if you give our listeners a sense of these demographic uh, changes that you re- referenced, Dan, and what you think that might uh, mean as we take a look toward um, the 2022 election and how it played, of course, in the 2020 election. Well, I'll comment on one statistic, and I'm speaking, this is off the top of my memory, but a rough estimate here from the year 2000 to the year 2017, approximately, registration shift was nearly 150,000 people. And that is both changing parties and uh, people moving in from the city westward into Delaware County. That, you know, that's unrecoverable for a Republican. I mean, they had a very significant majority in the year 2000, but they were uh, not reflecting, I think, the values of the, of the electorate there. And the electorate finally kind of came around. And registered the way that they were historically voting. You always see split ticket voting in Delaware County. Uh, going back some years, uh, you'd see, you know, the top of the ticket voting Democratic. And then at the lower level, they were voting for Republicans for the state house and other seats. And, you know, and that that's changed because I think people felt a permission to do so. And they changed the registration really to reflect what their values were. So maybe it's not maybe saying it's a, it's a combination of demographic change. And also this sort of outward registration uh, shift that was most pronounced earlier in the early 2000s uh, up through 2011 with the change in Montgomery County and then uh, sort of lagging uh, a little bit behind in Delaware County six years when you saw the county government completely change hands from Republican to Democratic control. It was the first time since the Civil War, right? Yeah. So so really, the, the Republican Party in Delaware County, as, as I'm sure you both know, historically has been a little bit of an outlier. They were a formidable machine 
that has had PhD theses written about them, the war board that controlled the municipal governments and the county government with a large patronage machine was quite powerful. So as Dan mentioned, a lot of folks in Delaware County were very much aligned with democratic principles and voted for Bill Clinton as president, but in their, you know, and have been voting for Democrats for decades. But when they registered to vote, if they wanted to get their pothole fixed, if they wanted their trash picked up, if they wanted to go to their state rep's office and uh, get help with something, if they, for, in some cases, didn't want to be fired from their jobs, they made sure that they were registered in, in the right party and heard many, many stories of folks who were in those situations where they felt that their cousin or their uncle had a job that was reliant on this patronage machine. And so they had to stay registered as a Republican and they had to vote locally for Republicans so that they didn't rock the boat. So what happened in Delaware County was a continual gradual shift of people, some of whom were new residents, but many of whom were people that lived here who were timid about registering as Democrats initially when they grew up here. But as, as years went on, there was a tipping point in 2017 where we were able to, to win some countywide seats for the first time. And once that happened, then those folks who had been voting with Democratic values, I believe, were more comfortable saying, I'm going to vote up and down the ticket as a Democrat. And so there, there certainly are more residents. There, there are people who've come in from out of the county, but there's also folks who've lived here for a long time who are saying, yeah, I can finally just register any old way and not fear retribution. So it's a combination of a lot of different factors that helped us get to a, a tipping point. You know, before we, we plunge any deeper, and there's a lot to unpackage, I think our listeners will find this fascinating. Just tell us a little about yourself, uh, Colleen first, then Dan. Uh, you take on this volunteer position, throw yourself you know, to uh, the wolves, so to speak, with, with uh, the diverse coalition that's the Democratic Party today, but certainly this entrenched, in every sense of the word, Republican machine. So how did you uh, uh, become the chairwoman and what do you do when you're not the chair? I basically have been a volunteer helping people get uh, elected. And I felt that in Delaware County in particular, there was a, a great need for volunteers to just make a difference. And I started out when a neighbor who was running for mayor asked me to do something for him and got involved and could see that there was a need for some some help. So I've just been volunteering all along. And then the chair position became open and I was asked to fill that just as a unifier. And I said, sure. During the day, I've spent most of my career as a nurse and 25 years as a pediatric nurse practitioner. And I see Democratic Party involvement as a natural outgrowth of that kind of work. Nurses care for people. They need a functioning government. They need roads and they need supply chains and they need a healthcare system that works in order to help people. And I think that that's all aligned with Democratic values. So a big part of what I did, the political advocacy that I did as a as a nurse practitioner, actually preceded my political activity as a Democrat, and it was all tied together. So at the moment, I've retired from my day job, and I'm just spending even more hours helping get people elected here in Delaware County. For my part, Ari, I think you know a lot about my history. We've been friends for many years, but before, even before I knew you, uh, I worked on the Hill. For, I'm originally from Havertown, from Delaware County, but I worked on uh, worked on the Hill for a number of years, chief of staff to a member of Congress from Massachusetts, and also worked with Mike Capuano and Jim McGovern, who's still there, and uh, returned to the Philadelphia area. And uh, I think I'm the only person in a suburban county to serve on an executive committee who was also formerly a ward leader in the city of Philadelphia. I say that uh, I see Colleen smiling 
uh, sort of, <laughs> uh, it's, of course, it's one of the very progressive wards, an open ward in the city of Philadelphia, uh, with a really solid reputation. The ninth ward uh, proudly uh, served in that role, but uh, ha- have been uh, working in regional politics uh, for uh, nearly 20 years, both uh, as a practitioner in government relations and also in uh, in politics and ran for office myself. I got involved in um, after re- moving to Delaware County. Colleen asked me to serve as vice chair and uh, thought that I might have um, be able to add some value with my sort of understanding of regional politics and state politics, sort of that kind of uh, that level. And uh, so I, I thought if I can add value, that's what I'm doing. And, and uh, I think it's been a really great partnership. Well, I think the two of you added a, a hell of a lot of value. I'd be really curious, you know, let's go back in the time machine and the, the pandemic hits the Pennsylvania primary gets postponed. You probably had, in the lead up to the primary, you had colleagues who were all over the map with the many, many great different candidates that we had. So tell us, I mean, how did you bring the county party together after what was a very contentious primary? And then for that matter, as everyone was dealing, dealing is the wrong word, coping with adjusting to this new reality of the pandemic. I would say that the mechanics of running the election were a huge factor. And part of why Delaware County had the opportunity to have 49 drop boxes as opposed to some counties with one is because of the fact that in 2017, we elected some Democrats. And in 2019, we were fortunate enough that we were able to prevail on a countywide level and we flipped our election board. I told people in 2019 during that election that the election board would be critical to electing a Democrat in 2020. And I think people thought I was kind of silly, but in the end, it was correct because we had the challenges of, of figuring out how to just get people to be able to vote, how to get them their vote by mail ballot, how to make sure that they had the information that they needed. It took enormous amounts of time and effort and energy. And it took a coordinated effort by an organized election board who was willing to be flexible, to go out and seek outside funding, to be able to mobilize resources to uh, in an election bureau that had $0 funding allocated for the uh, transitions to Act 77. You know, we were left with an organization that was severely underfunded and understaffed, and the ramp up was a miracle. So I think the voters were here. The voters cared. The voters knew that to reelect the former guy was going to be a disaster for our county and for our nation and for our world. They knew that. They just needed someone to help them vote safely so that they wouldn't get sick standing in lines for weeks and or for hours, excuse me. So uh, it was it was a tremendous effort. I think that our elected officials, our election boards, our election day volunteers, they're the people that get more kudos than anyone. I think the voters cared and were there. And we had a tremendous turnout. We had you know, our margin for the presidential race was more than the statewide margin. People here were desperate to vote, you know, in my opinion. I'll I'm also sorry, yeah. couple that with, and specifically to a part of the question that you asked about how did the party get unified after the primary? First of all, by the time it got to Pennsylvania, the decision for the presidential had been determined. But, you know, what Colleen did a couple of years ago in Delaware County was to have a wide open process that included all committee people to vote. Not that many people showed up before. Before, when Delaware County didn't have any real hope at winning big elections, uh, that is uh, the local level for state rep and state senate and the rest, 
just uh, just in 2019, Colleen organized a massive, I mean, really massive, a thousand people at the uh, Harris Hotel, uh, which is uh, you know the, the casino there. It's the only place that it could accommodate us, uh, you know, union uh, operated venue, and uh, that I think uh, it just set set a signal to the committee people that this leadership is committed to complete inclusion. And ever since that, it's been, um, you know, we, we introduced ranked choice voting last year. It simplified things. It didn't require everybody to be in the same room all at the same time. It's a very transparent process. And uh, that was uh, done again this year. Colleen, again, brought it together electronically. I think that sense of complete inclusion has been, uh, and, in, you know, you know not, nobody's putting their thumb on the scale, uh, I think has really given people a sense of, um, you know, whatever the outcome is, they get together behind the endorsed slate. And, and Dan, I have to give credit where credit is due. And it's, it's by our bylaws that that's how we do what we do. But one thing that happened in 2016 and 2017 that I think also makes a difference, you know, people see how did Stacey Abrams do it? She didn't do it this year. She's done it for a decade. And one of the things that happened in 2016, and I have been doing this stuff for 20 years, and every presidential cycle, we get a few new people in. But I had a sense in 2016 that there were going to be more people that that were going to want to get involved after that disastrous election. And so we pivoted very quickly in Delaware County. We had events within a few days of the election that said, how can you make a difference? How can you get involved? We had training sessions where people would come in and we'd say, hey, you know what? Next year, we're going to have people run for this office and that office, and we're going to need notaries, and we're going to need a treasurer for campaign committees, and we're going to need this and that. And we said to people, you don't all have to be the candidate, but there's so many things that you can do to make a difference. I actively searched out every indivisible group in the county, and this was just as an individual. I wasn't the county chair at the time. I just was the chair of a little town full of Democrats. We just had a very high number of Democrats in our town, and I was used to trying to get the folks in our town to help in other communities. And I had a sense that there may be a few more people that would be interested in making sure that the primary and the general next year created ballot access. And because we were in this oppressive political climate with the old war board, there were precincts that had never seen a Democrat covering and handing out a sample ballot. So that particular election, the primary of 2017, I had 200 volunteers that went to some of our 400 precincts just to hand out campaign literature. And they came back energized. They came back saying, I can't believe I was the only Democrat there greeting Democrats. And when people came in, they were so happy to see me. So, so these kinds of efforts don't happen in one day or one week. And I, anyone who's listening to this podcast from a very red area, just know that those symbols matter. That if you have a, ta- like I've said over and over again to the people in a certain town, I don't want three of you talking about knitting patterns on election day in your precinct. I want two of you to go someplace and stretch yourselves, go to a place where there aren't as many Democrats and say hello and let them know that give them something with a piece of contact information so they can get involved with the local party. Because when people know they're not alone, they're more bold and they're more involved and, and they stay involved. So the fact that that room had 1,100 people in it or a thousand and change um, when we had our first convention had to a great extent to do with the fact that all of us in Delaware County or most of us in Delaware County agreed with that agenda of bringing new people in. And I went to municipal meetings when I became chair and made a point of making sure that anyone that was new to the room had a chance to introduce themselves. And we will never function as a party if people say 
this is my crown. This is my title. I've had it my whole life. I'm going to keep it till I go to the grave. And isn't that good that I'm so good? I think my role as a leader is to bring new people in so that I'm obsolete, so that not everybody in leadership has gray hair, so that people in leadership are of all ages and and look different and come from different places. And I think that's part of our success in Delaware County. I think we've been a very inclusive county. And I just hope that anyone who's listening to this understands that that's the only way to, to be successful is to include new people and to grow. Also, those people that are already in that have been working, they may need to take a break. They may have an illness. They may have a child. They may have a, a commitment that makes them have to step back a little bit. And unless you have new people ready to serve, ready to help, ready to, to, to reach the ultimate goal of having a better government, you know, it's hard to get there. Anyway, I don't know if that was off topic, but there you go. No, I think uh, that, that was that was fantastic. I think it's a message for um, I would argue sixty six other counties across the uh, across the Commonwealth. Look, obviously every county is uh, quite different, but you know Delaware County, fifth largest, four hundred twenty five thousand registered voters. Uh, I didn't know that that number of four hundred precincts. But to use, and I'm not a nurse, uh, Colleen, but if I'm hearing you correctly, there wasn't a lot of neospora necessary as uh, Iowa. And the dust was settling from Iowa and New Hampshire. That even though we've mentioned indivisible, we've mentioned organized labor, we've talked about the diversity uh, from the row homes of Falkroft through the estates of Radnor. Our listeners are hearing you correctly. Folks came together pretty quickly in bygones or bygones. We have a common challenge, which is that our nation was at the brink of disaster. And it still... One of the things that I really appreciate that I saw recently was um, Reverend Warnock um, had written the arc of the moral arc of the universe bends toward justice, but only when we bend it. And we need to do that work. It's ongoing. We're not going to be able to stop doing the work that needs to be done. It's like having a garden. You know, you don't just plant seeds and walk away. You've got to water it. You got to weed it. You got to make it happen. And it's the same with government. Let's use that garden analogy. I, I don't know anything about medicine, but I, I, I dabble as a gardener. I'm reminded, uh, this is just, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of the beautiful grounds of Swarthmore College, uh, which I think is an open air arboretum. Uh, my, my brother graduated from there. And I'm also reminded that Spiro Agnew called it the, uh, the Kremlin on the crumb um, uh, back, back in the day. I'm thinking of that in terms of the diverse coalition that really delivered Pennsylvania to uh, uh, Biden-Harris. You had students, uh, many of whom were, were not uh, in a typical semester, and there's certainly college campuses across the county. We've referenced newly elected State Senator Kane and organized labor. And then obviously, anytime a presidential campaign comes in to a purple state like Pennsylvania, that's a massive, massive effort. So I think it would just be helpful for listeners to get a little granular and understand when you have all of these diverse interests, all with a singular focus of, of flipping Pennsylvania's electoral votes. But realistically, how does everyone get along? That you have professional organizers who may have never lived and worked in Pennsylvania. You have organized labor that might be focused very heavily on a, a specific state Senate seat. You have college students voting for the first time. And there's many, many, many more other members of the coalition. How, how, how do you guys as full-time county party operators um, do you feel like a traffic cop? Uh, I just, I find this fascinating. I think we were all reaching the same goal. I think that the Biden campaign initially, and then the Biden-Harris campaign was was very much 
involved on a granular level, making calls everywhere, including people and, and focusing on where the turnout was needed because it was all virtual. We could assist in any county that we needed to assist in. Our, our state reps were all included in that rota of calls. Um, our state senators were. We were so grateful for the work of organized labor. We had, they were boots on the ground all over the county. And one of the reasons that a lot of people believe that John Kane won his senator, Kane won his seat, was because the folks in labor were not afraid to continue to canvas. They did lit drops safely and socially distanced in a socially distanced way, but they continued to have boots on the ground for a much longer duration than a lot of other candidates who were resistant to that. that and rightly so, you know, to doing anything that might cause any discomfort to a candidate or, or I mean, to a, to a resident. So I don't think we had factions moving in different directions. I think we were all trying to do the same thing. Am I just missing something, Dan? Well, I mean, what did you know, you there's obviously a legacy of different, there, there had been the different camps. You, you, Colleen have been uh, sort of a consensus person uh, um, amongst them. And even to the extent that uh, I'll share you know, Colleen has, uh, when it comes to sort of regional players and political players and the, you know, where they want to kind of influence politics in the, in the county. Uh, we've talked about it. I have some sort of history with some of these folks and I can offer some perspective. I think that's been of some value understanding the motivations and concerns of outside, um, whether it be labor or other uh, constituencies that may be trying to influence the outcome of an election in Delaware County. I think, you know, this has been, again, this has been why when Colleen asked me to serve in this role that I agreed because uh, it was Colleen's intention to build a consensus model that was open, that invited people's opinions and perspectives. And nobody felt the door was closed or they didn't feel, (laughs) you know, you don't walk out of a room having a conversation with Colleen and wondering what what the heck just happened, right? You know, it's clear. She'll tell you where she can be, uh, where the party is, and I think that's actually appreciated by those on the outside, right? Whether it be building trades versus uh, other kinds of uh, uh, other other unions um, or uh, environmental groups or other advocacy organizations. I think they may not always agree with Colleen, but they. I, I, this is the one thing I, I remember having a conversation with a local uh, municipal leader. And, you know, I said, you know, the, the thing about uh, about Colleen's style has been has never taken a, a position on one side or the other, you know, putting her thumb on the scale. And I think that that's a, that's a message and a lesson that I think other uh, county leaders could probably do well, uh, serve them well. Just curious, you mentioned environmental. We've uh, talked a bit about labor. As you survey your activists across 400 precincts and then just man on the street voters, are there certain issues that you found resonated more so than others uh, over 2020? There are so many issues that matter to so many of our people. I think right now the biggest issue is COVID and vaccine rollout. We've been shorted in Delaware County this year, and people are blaming their mayor and our county council for decisions made in the Pennsylvania Department of Health on that one. And we're working hard to have people say, hey, wait a minute, there's people in this county too. Please send us more vaccine and our their, their rollout's ready. But there are many issues that resonate. And I had a conversation with someone who had a very particular interest a couple of years ago and really wanted me to know that their group had this interest. And, you know, not all the Democrats agreed with that interest a few years ago. And did I hold a grudge because I was, and I was like, no, that's up to them. But what I explained to that person was, you know, there are still people in this 
county, they're going to vehemently oppose what you want. And there are other people in this county um, who are going to support what you want. And that's the beauty of our county. So the elected officials, like I can't get every elected official to agree with you on this issue because they don't all agree with each other. And that's part of good government. You've got different parts of the county that have different issues. And so each representative is representing their constituency. So yes, in terms of any particular hot button issue, there may be a difference in a, in one region over another, but finding the commonalities of good government is, is really the bottom line. So yes, I mean, we, they have folks, we have folks at the Western end of the County who are very concerned about a pipeline in their backyard. We have folks in the Eastern part of the County that are very concerned about the COVID impact that's been in their community. There's economic development issues, particularly in the Southern tier of our County where there are areas that, that are, that have been neglected and that were frankly wealthy people got to, to get it, take advantage of less economically developed communities and pull out resources, bring in their trash, do whatever they needed to do to make money and enjoy their lives. And what we're trying to do is give every person a voice and say, yeah, just because this community doesn't have the wealth of your community doesn't mean that they don't matter. Everybody matters. But there are so many issues. So you, the both of you, what I'm really hearing was a team effort. I mean, you certainly gave folks a voice. I think if a year ago, I would have said that you'd have 78% turnout. Uh, he probably would have laughed. I'm also I'm quite impressed, and uh, even with restrictions on door to door and and picnics and events that happened in the summer, uh, you all or I assume it was you all registered 11,000 new Democratic voters between June and October, and I'd be curious if we can kind of plunge in during that critical period, which which often is marked with rallies and parades and, and picnic events and all sorts of door-to-door canvassing and outreach to voters. I mean, you clearly weren't twiddling your thumbs uh, during the summer of 2020, but it was quite different. So what, what what were those months like? I just think we had tremendous volunteer engagement and the, the Biden campaign, the Biden-Harris campaign did a fantastic job of getting the message out, whether it was texting, phone calling, social media contact. We made it very easy for people to register to vote, to get their vote by mail ballot, to get their vote by mail ballot put into a drop box. The awareness was just very high in our county that our votes really mattered. Both President Biden and Jill Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, they all made stops in the region. Most of these were very socially distanced, but they got into the news and people understood that this region mattered. I think that, you know, having the national headquarters of the the campaign in the Philadelphia area, having a president that spent time in Scranton and just south of us in the state of Delaware, none of those things hurt. I mean, all those things helped us. But I think people understood that this region could be impactful, you know, that, that we could be a bellwether for the nation and that without us, that our nation would go in the wrong direction. We just made the, did the work, I think, behind the scenes. There weren't tables out of people with papers saying, please register to vote like you used to see in the Obama years, because people just didn't want to do it that way. They really felt that they needed to stay safe and stay inside and and um, keep the COVID rates down as much as possible. And Dan, as you took a look and you're looking at precinct data, you're looking at the tremendous outcomes from 2018, flipping some of those state house seats. Were there certain precincts that were of particular importance? We've divided up the county kind of into the western suburbs suburbs bordering Philadelphia, the Southern tier, realize you can't say, but uh, you know, not, not, not all precincts are created equal. Uh, you can't well, say that, but I can't. I'll, I'll comment that there are, you know, we, this was a GOTV effort. 
right, about uh, targeting the voters that you know you have and registration and getting those those folks out to vote on 2018. Also, keeping in mind that when it comes to down ballot uh, voting, uh, it was by that time, by 2018, uh, you've now uh, clearly have momentum uh, countywide amongst uh, ideologically left of center uh, people who were alarmed by the administration and felt uh, more comfortable, uh, obviously registering Democratic and now voting down ballot Democratic. So 2018 was uh, the, the numbers um, that we saw for Democrats winning these state house races and state, you know, and, and the, the congressional race was a bit of an outlier. It was a, the, the lines changed in the middle of it. It went from an R plus one, two district that was uh, Pat Means district in the seventh to a D plus 13, which was uh, what I would characterize as sort of a bulletproof Democratic district. That, however, the benefit of that is that it drove Democrats out even more. Right. I mean, you've got now a solid Democratic district. People wanted to vote for the new congresswoman coming on, Mary Gay Scanlon. So they came out and they, they voted in, in uh, big numbers and they stayed there. I mean, historically, you'd see this thing where they vote Democratic at the top of the ticket, top of the ticket. They'd shift over to the Republican for the congressional seat and then stay there. That doesn't happen anymore in Delaware County. And if you were asking about specific precincts, look, there are, there are historically high turnout precincts. Swarthmore, where Colleen you know, is, is still chair is, is sort of a, a center of that, but there are still challenges in precincts that were disenfranchised by structure. That is to say, uh, in Chester, they have so few people in a precinct that they can't even, they, they, they can't even field a full, you know, um, election board. That is a, by design, uh, we believe, and we're, um, we're very hopeful that now under the new government here in Delaware County, that a lot of these things can be uh, revisited and uh, made more uh, more equitable and uh, uh, working for the electorate rather than for, as, as you know, for those who are elected. Well, the both of you have been super generous with your time. I want to wrap up by looking backward and any lessons that might be learned with an eye to 2022. As you mentioned, still have some outstanding, I believe there's two Republican state rep seats that are quite, quite close to flipping. But we've mentioned, and I think it's a whole episode and discussion about uh, statehouse politics that our listeners look forward to. But I want to go back to 2015. And Colleen, being uh, uh, someone from Swarthmore, uh, to your state representative, Leanne Kruger, first woman in Pennsylvania history to chair the, the HDCC, uh, the re-election arm of the Democratic Caucus. So over those last five years, uh, if we could sum it up in just a few sound bites, what, what lessons can be learned for the next five years to flip those state Senate and state House seats and build that margin even more so? Thank you for repre- talking about Representative Kruger. And I also want to mention Representative Scanlon. I think the best thing, one of the best things you can do is recruit team players to run for office. When Representative Kruger came into office, we had a lot of separate fiefdoms, and she worked very hard to support other candidates in other part of the county, supporting municipal candidates who will then build and grow. Um, and Representative Scanlon, as, as Dan was saying, had a safe, sort of guaranteed D plus 13 seat, but she's been working tirelessly to build the party from the bottom up since she first ran for office. And what we need is to work together as a team. And the more we can set aside our egos, the more we can focus on the fact that our people in this nation need us, 
that we can work together and support one another. And once someone's in, keep that door open to help the next few people get in. That's how we build and grow. That's what we've done here. I don't know if that's that soundbite you were looking for, but that's what comes to mind. Now, that was an excellent message, uh, the word team. And sometimes uh, that word is forgotten as we sit around Democratic kitchen tables. Uh, we look at the differences rather than what unites us. Dan, how would you how would you sum up the diversity of the county and the tremendous strides of the last five years and lessons well, to learned is, uh, um, for the next five years? The, uh, it's the suburban county that has probably is demographically most familiar to Philadelphia. That is to say, it's got kind of working class white communities. It's got fairly affluent, uh, mixed cultural and ethnic, uh, diver- ethnically diverse communities. It actually even as 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 it extends into the suburbs and Upper Darby and Gaydon and Darby probably communities that have uh, more in, in common in their composition uh, to a lot of city uh, communities, city neighborhoods. That sort of richness that makes Delaware County a, a really interesting kind of place because it's also got, you know, Radnor, the home of the old fox hunts and, uh, you know, the, and the, the money main line. Really um, a community as a, and, and a place that, you know, Delco, people identify as Delco. I mean, it's just got a, a certain kind of uh, gestalt, a certain uh, sort of special place uh, identity. And identity is, uh, I think, um, what, uh, what unifies Delaware County. The next five years, I think, look, it's, 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 it becomes solidly democratic. You don't take anything for granted. That is, as a county, it's been solidly democratic, but, you know, it, it is, uh, and it's growing, but every, every race, depending upon the climate at the top, and you have a Democrat now in the presidency, we're really interested to see. We want to win this year. I think that will be a really, you know, this is for an off-year election, an odd-year election. We have some judges running. I think when we win this year, and, I, and I'm confident that we will, it'll send a real clear call, a clear message uh, to the region, uh, to everybody that uh, that, that uh, Delaware County has uh, has really, has really, um, uh, succeeded in bringing uh, advancing progressive values and democratic politics. And Dan, I'm going to say one more thing. It's okay for you to be confident, but we will take no vote for granted. We are still working as hard as we worked in 2015 and 2010, and we will continue to work hard to earn the the votes of all of our constituents. And I'm hopeful that that we'll continue to have more. Yeah, I hope I didn't say anything like I'm taking for granted. I don't. I don't think any votes for granted. <laughs> and that's not even, That's what I even say this year. Not, not at all. It's an odd year. You know, you don't know what turnout's going to be. Yeah, we never take anything for granted in Delaware County. No, I want to I want to thank you both. Uh, it's also quite clear that there's there's no such thing as an off year, even off month. So you've been super generous with your time. I'm going to let you get back to uh, the mean streets of Delaware County to uh, to organize and uh, yeah, collect petitions. Yeah, i got my street. Thank you right so here. much. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. As Hillary Clinton used to say, it takes a village. This podcast would not be possible without the help of Sarah McGrath and Jake Schwartz. If you liked this discussion, we would love for you to give us a review, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a suggestion on a future guest and other feedback, visit our website, papoliticspodcast.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at PA Political Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn.